Well, good morning, everybody. So glad to start our day off celebrating what matters the most. So great for Ryland. I'm so glad that you understand that that's the most important thing that we do around here. Uh, my name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here. I get to be one of the pastors here. I want to welcome those of you join us online. And we get to be together. I love this. My favorite hour of the week. We get to come together, whether this is your first time or your thousandth time. Uh, we believe you belong here. I love something that Pastor Brandon prayed in his prayer today, and that is this. We're the only um, organization that exists for its non-members. Uh, you go to Costco, you go to Sam's, you got to have a card, you got to pay the membership to get in. We're the only organization, the church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. And with that being said, I want to encourage you, um, out in the four years, on each of the four years, there's this card that says Easter, um, and on the back it says you're invited. Those aren't for decorations, uh, and there's not magnets to put on your refrigerator. These are to give out. And I want to challenge you and invite you to grab a few of these on your way out. Yesterday I had the opportunity to get my car washed. Uh, no one was behind me. And so I was able to have a little conversation with the, with the young guy, great young man, and just able to uh, give him an invitation. Say, if you don't have a church, love for you to come to ours on Easter Sunday. It's that simple. Um, if you uh, leave it with a waitress or waiter after you leave a generous tip, if you leave a stingy tip, please do not leave this with them. Um, but uh, leave your business card or something. I don't care. But don't leave this with them. If you're a generous tipper, leave that with them. But also use it to invite your friends and your neighbors. Easter and Christmas is the one time a year where more people are open to going because it's part of a, a tradition. So I just want to encourage you to do this. And I want to do more encourage you to do this is I want you to take these with you. Because if you take them with you, you're more likely to have the possibility to go, oh yeah, this is a good opportunity to use this or to share this with someone else. So um, if you'll, they're out on the tables out here by the coffee bar on the way out. They're out here in the children's desk. Uh, you'll see these. If you will grab at least three of these, would you just nod your head at me? I'm starting in this section right here. Nod, I need some more nods. We're not going to the next section until I get some more nods here. See how this is working? We got enough nods there, so we got a section. I see one person doing this. You're you, out. Get them, ushers. Get that person gone. Um, any Over here, you'll grab some of these. Grab them, put them in your purses, put them in your pockets. Take it with you. At least you'll have an opportunity or a chance. And by the way, things happen, so not all of these make it in the hands of others, but each time that we do these, just this last week, pulled out my jeans out of the washer, and we had a wad that was stuck together. And so anyway, that happens too. We know that. So, But if we don't have them, uh, just encourage you to restock on that because, uh, friends, Easter, uh, Resurrection Sunday, it's not for us. It's not for us. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you profess to be a believer, uh, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. And actually, we celebrate it every day of our lives. It's what gets me up in the morning that Jesus rose again. It's what gets me up in the morning that my sins are forgiven. It's what gets me up in the morning that no matter what happens in that day or that week, I have a hope of eternity with Jesus Christ. So we celebrate, for those of you believers... We celebrate the resurrection every single Sunday, every single day of our lives. This is our opportunity to invite 
others to hear the good news that God loves them so much that he died on a cross for them, but he didn't stay on that cross, he rose again. We have such great news to share, so I hope that you will take opportunities to invite people uh, to be there. And it's also great, I want to thank all our volunteers that serve each and every uh, week and, and do such a great job, whether greeting, opening the doors, whether out here with our children, whether on the worship team, in the tech, wherever. Uh, Easter is not the Sunday we take off. Easter is the Sunday we step up. We need our best, and we need our best foot forward. So thank you to all our volunteers, but let's have a great day. Worship in one service, go to uh, serve in the other service, and we're going to have a great day celebrating kind of the church's Super Bowl the Super Bowl, the resurrection of Christ. We celebrate that. Well, again, welcome if you're here with us for the first time. One especially glad that you're here and we're together, uh, whether first time or the, or the thousandth time. We're just glad we're here together today. Well, about half of the room today um, is very excited, and about half of the room is not very excited today. We're not going to get into division this, but, you know, we rejoice with those who rejoice, Scripture says, and we mourn with those who mourn. So, K-State fans, you can mourn today and tomorrow. Jayhawk fans, rock chalk, and congratulations. What a uh, fun, exciting game it was uh, last night. It's going to be an exciting time. But whether, whatever side you're on, uh, one of the cool things about March Madness is the cool underlying stories of the underdogs. And there was a story that just really didn't get the attention that it should have garnered. It really didn't, it got overlooked because of St. Peter's. St. Peter's, the number 15 seed, was such an incredible story that any other year we would have noticed our neighbors to the northeast, the Iowa State Cyclones. I mean, they went to the Sweet 16. Were an incredible story, but we barely heard about it because of St. Peter's. They were 2-22 and 22 last year. Two wins, 22 losses. My heart empathizes with them. Five wins, 35 losses in my college football career. I empathize. Two wins, 22 losses. And this year, 22 wins and 13 losses. Now, there's still losses. You're going to have some losses, but 22 wins. And here's what their coach said. I can't pronounce his name, so I won't say it, but here's what the coach said about it. He says, our team, this was before the season started, first year coach, new coach, said our team knew what our identity would be. We believe that if you play hard defensively and you dictate that, you can control the game. Here's two things that jumped out at me. One, he said, if you know who you are, if you know who your identity is, and you believe it's going to be great things in your future, and you're going to be on a winning team. The great things are going to happen. And friends, that is so much more true for us. If we know who we are in Jesus Christ, and we believe in Him, the sky's the limit. Anything's possible. Resurrection is possible. We can go from death to life. We can go from hopelessness to hope. If we know who we are and who we believe in, that is so important this morning. And this team went on an exciting ride because they believed in, their, in what the coach was telling them. They knew who they were going to be. And friends, that's the story of the Gospel of Mark that we've been in the last several weeks. The Gospel of Mark. Uh, gospel means good news. Uh, it's great news, actually. And Mark tells us, really, what our, our message today is, your best life. And, and your best life is when you know who you are in Christ and you believe in who He is. And, and that is your best life. 
Your best life is that. And we've been talking about that. Mark has been coaching us and preparing us and getting us ready for our best life. This journey of a lifetime when we know who our identity is and we know who we believe in. Mark's written this playbook. And it's part of 66 playbooks in here. This Bible is made up of 66 books. Mark is one of the four gospels. And in this playbook, he's telling us how do we grow up into this? How do we live this best life? And my prayer for us, for you, for me, in this series, that this is helping us to grow and take the next step in our faith with Jesus, to help us live our best life, to know who we are and to know who we belong to. And like the Iowa State Cyclones, we will go from being losers to winners when, we're, when we follow Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean we won't have any losses. I mean, Iowa State is now considered a, a winner, but they still had 13 losses. Friends, we're still going to have some losses on this side of heaven. We're still going to fall down. We're still going to scrape up. We're still going to scrape our knees. We're still going to sin at times. We're still going to fall short of the glory of God. But when our identity is in Christ and our belief is in Christ, I promise you, you will end up on the winning side and you will be on the winning team because we go from death to life because of our new identity in Christ because God is transforming us into who he made us to be. So for a few weeks, um, next week we're going to, you know, it's Palm Sunday, so we're going to skip a, a few chapters ahead uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor uh, Dustin did such a great job with chapter 9, but I've been in chapters 1 through 5, and one thing you'll notice about chapters 1 through 5, it's like a classroom. It's like instruction. We're all sitting in our seats, we're listening, we're hearing, we're hearing what it is to be a follower of Jesus, what it's, and we're, we're seeing Jesus model it to his disciples, but today there's a shift. Today, you're going to see in chapter 6, we go from the classroom and, and instruction to modeling, to hands-on experience, to you might call it a practicum or what a doctor might call his, resident, his or her residency. Uh, we're, we're going to where the, now he's giving the disciples an opportunity to get their feet wet, to, to, to practice hands-on, no, no longer just theory and talk about it, but Jesus is like, okay, we've been talking about, I've been modeling, but now you're going to get in the game. Now we're going to put you into the starting lineup. And so uh, even in, in, in chapter 6, at the, the, I don't have the first verse, but when the Sabbath came, verse 2, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And at this point, Jesus is still kind of in the classroom. We're getting ready to go out we're getting ready to do our practicum, our residency, but he's, there's a little bit more classroom instruction before the rest of the chapter uh, gets going. Jesus, uh, they took note of him. Isn't this the carpenter? Everyone in the Galilean, Judean countryside, they were starting to hear of this Jesus. He was doing amazing things, and he had amazing teaching. And, and so his hometown was starting to say, man, we grew up with this kid. Only a snot-nosed little kid, and we knew what he was like. And who is this? We knew who this was, and now they're just in amazement. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And they're thinking Joseph's son, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. We're going to talk about that. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his home. 
He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, for he was amazed at their lack of faith. If you're following along, you have your notes today. The first thing this morning is this, ministry, ministry isn't going to be easy. Jesus is telling his disciples, guys, so glad you're with me, glad you're on the team, but ministry is not going to be easy. Actually, following Jesus is not going to be easy. Jesus is your best life, but don't mistake it for the easy life. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So it is your best life, but if anyone tells you it's an easy life, they've sold you a, a bad sell of goods. Um, it, it's, it's not an easy life, but it is your best life. It is your best life, but Jesus is like, ministry is not going to be easy. Uh, following Jesus is not going to be easy. Uh, our faith at times is going to be offensive to others. There's going to be times where um, it's not kosher, it's not politically correct. Uh, for one of the things about, uh, about this manual that tells us is this very clearly, and it's not fun to hear, is we're sinners. That we're messed up. And we're confronted with the different kinds of sins and the different mess-ups and the different things we've done. This the Bible, the book, the, the good book, or whatever you want to call it, the scriptures, uh, it confronts us that we're sinners, that we're messed up. It can be offensive to tell someone, just go to work this week, try it out this week, go to school this week, and tell them, you are a messed up sinner, and see what kind of response you get. Actually, don't do that, but just imagine if you would do that. It's, it's offensive at times, and the reality is it's offensive because we're sinners too. We're all sinners. Everyone, it's an equal playing field. Everybody is sinners. Sometimes that's offensive. Sometimes we're going to be rejected on our home court. For those of you that uh, don't follow the Broncos like I do, uh, the last six years, you have noticed the crowds booing their own team. You've noticed ten to 15,000 of their fans, no-shows, paid for tickets, didn't show up because they are rejecting the home. And here Jesus is perfect in every way, and Jesus is saying, guys, it's not going to be easy. Sometimes you're going to be rejected in your own family by your own friends. They're going to think you're crazy. This is nuts. Sometimes you're going to be rejected on your home court. And then Jesus was like, he was amazed at their lack of faith. There's two things in Scripture that Jesus was amazed. Where, once where he's amazed at their lack of faith, and the other thing where he's amazed at people's faith. You want to know what moves Jesus? It's faith. Not our good works, not our good deeds, not anything we can do. What moves the heart of Jesus is faith. And he was amazed at his hometown and their lack of faith. And friends, honestly, I'm amazed at times, well, oftentimes, it amazes me that people reject Jesus. It just amazes me. And it, and it hurts me and it bothers me that people reject Jesus because what they're rejecting is the best love one could ever know, the most joy they could ever have, the peace that surpasses understanding, uh, the, the strength of the Lord. There's so many things that, 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 that is rejecting when people reject Jesus. I don't know how people make it without Jesus. If you're here today as your friend, I want to tell you, I don't know how you're doing it. I don't know how you do it with Jesus. This life it's broken, and there is stuff that we go through, death, pain, divorce, hurts, sickness, all different things that we go in this broken life, in this broken world, and I don't know how people do it without Jesus. 
Because Jesus wants to be our peace. He wants to be our hope. He wants to be our joy. He wants to be our strength. He wants to be our love. He wants to walk through us with all the, excuse me, getting excited, all those things. Moving on to verse 7 through 13. If you're following along your notes, Jesus then begins to empower, entrust, and unleash. He begins to empower, entrust, and unleash people to lead. I think we may back up one, yeah. Jesus empowers, entrusts, and he unleashes people to lead. That's what he was doing with the disciples. Like, we've been in the classroom. Now it's time to unleash my power, entrust you with my authority, and unleash. And, and that's what good leaders do, is, is they do that. And here's how Jesus, we see in verse 7, chapter 6, verse 7, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. Jesus models to us that the best way to lead is to give away your authority, give away your power, and entrust it to others. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have any authority, gave it all away, but he shared his authority, shared his power. And good leaders, if we're going to be good leaders, we need to share our authority, our power, and trust, and encourage, and help others, unleash them to lead. And honestly, I got to get better at this as your pastor. Honestly, us pastors on our, on our team here, we got to get better at that with our church, our board, our leadership. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we all got to get better at unleashing people to lead, unleashing them and empowering them to lead. And we may sometimes think, well, we'd like things to be done right and, and they're, maybe they're not ready yet. If Jesus would have waited till the disciples were ready, they never would have started. They never would have launched. He didn't, he, they were very raw. They were very unseasoned. Last week we had um, a guest with us. You may or may not have met him. He's a pastor friend of mine. He started a church in Fargo, North Dakota about 2000. And over 20 years it was the largest, fastest growing Nazarene church in our denomination. Fargo, North Dakota. From his three and his family to about 2,500. And as he met with our, our board last Sunday night and our, and our pastors, yes, Monday morning, me Saturday. Um, there's a, so many things that I took away from that. But here's one of the things that I took away that he said in relation to this. We are in the people development business. We are here to help people grow and develop as followers of Jesus. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. And I like how he said it. We're in the people development business. Jesus was there to help people become all who God created them to be. That's what God's in the business of doing. He's here to create you and me. Uh, in the, it, we're created in his image, but he wants to create us in who he made us to become and who we're meant to be. And if we're following Jesus, we're developing him. Our, our instruction, the last instructions Jesus gave before he left this earth was, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Develop people. Help them to follow me. And some of you uh, here today, and this happens to me sometimes, sometimes the enemy gets in my head, this is the voice of the enemy, not, not God, but sometimes you think, I'm not gifted enough, I don't have enough talents, I, I, I don't have what that person has, and you sell yourself short, you think you don't have what it takes, and, and, and we probably don't. But Jesus didn't start with seasoned, veteran disciples. He started with unseasoned, underdeveloped, raw, 
And one of the things Pastor John said to us last week, and I can't get this out. I think he said this to our pastors. He said, you have to be willing to stink at stuff before you can become good at something. Is that good theology or what? You have to be willing to stink at stuff before you become good at something. That's true for all of us. Think about the job you're in. Think about being a senior in high school. Think about wherever you are. You didn't just overnight go, I'm going to decide to do that and become good at it. It, it took practice. It took someone putting you in there before you're ready. And I don't want to tell on all of you, but I was just thinking of Heather and me. I'm not, I don't feel as free in this service as I do the last service because Heather wasn't in the last service, my wife. Um, but I'm going to say it anyway because truth is truth. Um, she's a pro-professional teacher. She's a great teacher. But 15 years or so ago, whenever she started, my guess is that when she was teaching third grade in Little Independence, Kansas, I bet she stunk. <laughs> I bet she wasn't very good back then. Uh, we had the blessing of being around McCandless, our, our partner's school. Um, Friday they did their in-service, part of their in-service day. And it was such a blessing to have them. And some of you great people, uh, some of our great ladies here served them Chick-fil-A. And then they did some training. And uh, I sat at a table with kids that I, I thought, they're in high school. I mean, they didn't look, but I guess one was 21 and one was like 22. It was their first year of teaching. And I, I was thinking of my message, and I didn't want to tell them this, but I was thinking, they're just starting. I bet they don't, I bet they're not professionals. I'm not going to say they stink, but I'm just going to say, I bet, I bet they're still, with the training they got in the classroom, I bet there's still so much for them to learn and so much opportunity and potential to grow. But the, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that we give young people uh, uh, an opportunity to develop. I'm thankful God gives us older folks that are late in the game. He gives us an opportunity to stink at stuff, to get better at stuff. And if I could go back, I don't want to just pick on Heather. That's not fair. If I could go back to the first church or two that I pastored, actually probably every church I pastored, the four, this is the fourth. If I could go back to the, especially the first two, especially the first year or two, I would go back and I would apologize they didn't have that great of a preacher, that great of a leader, that great of a pastor. But you know what? They embrace me. They let me develop my talents and my abilities. This church has been a great church. It's letting our pastors develop and grow their abilities. What I love even better is you're a church that embraces our young people to lead and be unleashed and develop. If you go out to our children's this morning, I guarantee you half of those volunteers out there are high school students. Half of them that are teaching our kids they're, they're leading because this is a church that empowers the young people. Wednesday night, uh, I was so encouraged when I ran around and saw what was taking place on Wednesday night. And I saw over half of the uh, teachers out there were college students, our college students leading. I'm thankful we have college students and young people serving on a worship team. I'm thankful that we have them out in our children. I'm thankful we have them greeting at the doors. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that recognizes we're here to raise up the next generation. And you don't raise up the next generation by saying, you got to get to this point before we can insert you into a pace of leadership or position. And that goes for us older ones too. Sometimes we think, I'm not ready. I can't. That's the enemy talking we got to be willing to stink at stuff before we can get good at stuff. Well, that's enough of that. Mark tells us in verses 14 through 29, he tells us about John the Baptist. So much, so many good things were happening with Jesus and his disciples that it 
it was spreading like wildfire. Everyone was hearing what Jesus was doing and what his disciples were doing. So much so that King Herod um, thought, you know what? This is John the Baptist raised to life. Or this is Elijah. I mean, this is John the Baptist. He must have been raised from the dead. Herod was scared because Herod killed a holy man. He killed John the Baptist. He didn't want to. He was afraid of him. He didn't want to, but his wife, who was not really his wife, his wife was his brother's wife, and he stole his brother's wife and took his, wife, his brother's wife for his own, and that's kind of messed up. And then, and then uh, John the Baptist said, what you're doing, Herod and Herodias, is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. This is sin. They didn't like that. And so at one point, Herodias' daughter um, performed a dance in front, of the, in front of the dignitaries and before Herod. It so pleased Herod which is kind of sick, you know, he's kind of a sicko if you ask me, it so pleased him that he said, hey, um, you can have anything up to half of my kingdom. And the, the daughter went to his mom and said, what should I ask for? And he said, anything up to half the kingdom. And, and she said, ask for the head of John the Baptist because she didn't like being called out for her sin. She said, ask for the head of, of John the Baptist. I want it on a platter. Don't tell me the Bible is boring. Anytime that you have someone's head on a platter, that's not boring. Gross, but not boring. And so here you have John the Baptist, and he's thinking, man, John the Baptist has come back to life because the things that Jesus was doing and his disciples were doing were, were absolutely crazy. And he thought something must be going on out of, out, of the, out of the norm. Here's the main point, if you've got your notes in front of you, here's the main point I want us to take from this today. Sometimes in serving others, Sometimes in serving others, you're going to get your head chopped off. It's the best I could come up with that section. Here's what I say to this. Not literally, hopefully, although we do have Christians and brothers and sisters around the world who are dying every day for their faith in Jesus Christ. We're so spoiled and so protected here in the United States. But there are going to be times where you'll serve others for their benefit. And in ministry, sometimes you're going to get your head chopped off. People are going to misunderstand, misunderstand you. Sometimes they're going to question your motives uh, or they're going to they're unfairly criticize you. If you're going to serve others, it's okay. Sometimes your head's going to get chopped off. John wasn't worried about it. Why? Because John served an audience of one. He wasn't serving for the public approval of man. He was serving the audience of one. And that is our goal. And I don't do it well, and we probably don't do it as well. We're so, we're so focused oftentimes about what other people think of us and whether they like us or not, or whether they accept the decisions or the things that we're doing that we lose sight of. The, the, what, what our goal is, is not for the public, of, but our goal is to please an audience of one. And when I'm, when I'm happiest and most joyful and most at peace it's when I'm serving an audience at one. When I'm most frustrated, discouraged, down, angry at times, it's when I'm trying to please others. Our goal is to continue to move towards serving and pleasing and praising an audience of one. Now the last part of this chapter, verses 30 to 34. Jesus, not the last part, but the time we have time for. Jesus invites his disciples to be a part of a miracle. So chapters 1 through 5... It's been the classroom. And now he first sends them out two by twos and says, guys, you're going to do great things as well, which you're called to do great things. Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than I did. That's hard to believe, but Jesus said we will. And as a church, sometimes we do some great things together. But he said, sometimes Jesus wants you to do a miracle 
when he wants to do a miracle, he expects you to be a part of it. 5,000 hungry men and women, this story of 5,000 men, you add the women and children into this, probably 15,000, 20,000 people that are hungry. And the disciples are like, hey guys, uh, Jesus, uh, we got issues here. We got some hungry people. And Jesus answers, you give them something to eat. You got this. You do it. No convenience store, no Dylan's, nothing around, no farm, no cattle, no, not enough time to do anything. You give them something to eat. And they're like, Jesus, that would take, we, it's so good, easy for us to begin making excuses. Legitimate excuses. This is too big for me. I can't do this. I don't have enough resources. But I believe some of the best miracles take our step of faith. And Jesus knew it was too big for them. But Jesus always knows what he asks us to do, he'll provide for. Mark 6, 38, Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? What you got? I'm not asking you to give me what you don't have. I'm not asking you to pull something out of thin air like a magician. I'm just asking you to tell me what you have. What do you got? And sometimes we make the excuses, I'm not talented enough. I don't have enough gifts. I don't have enough resources. I don't have what it takes. And Jesus is going, I didn't ask you what you don't have. I'm asking you, what do you have? I'm not going to ask you to do more than what you can do. I'm asking you to give me what you have. And so Jesus will never, if you're following along today, Jesus will never ask you to do more than he is willing to provide for you. Jesus is not focused on what you don't have. He's asking you, what do you have? And you may think, I just have one little talent here. Great, that's what God wants to use. To use. You may think, I just got a couple talents or a couple gifts. I'm not, that, great, that's what God wants to use. That's what he wants to do. And, and he wants to do so much more, but Jesus will never ask you to do more than what he's willing to provide for you. And this story is told in all four Gospels, which I think means it's important. There's a lot of stories that are just told in one or two or three Gospels. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 is told in all four Gospels. And in the Gospel of John, it tells where this food source came from. It came from a little boy with five loaves and two fish. God provided through a little boy's obedience to give up his lunch, to give up what he had, to offer it to the disciples, to offer it to Jesus. And this is what happened. Out of little, God made leftovers. Because if you read the rest of the story, after he fed these fifteen to 20,000 people, Jesus said, gather up the leftovers. And they gathered up 12 basketfuls of bread and fish. And Jesus wanted to make a very clear point to his disciples. You offer me what you have, and I will do the rest. You take a step of obedience, and I will supply. I won't ask you, I won't, I won't ask you to do something I will not equip you for. I'm not asking you to do more than you can. I'm asking you to give me what you have, and I will make leftovers. And friends, I am not a prosperity gospel guy. I'm not a guy that believes, name it, claim it, you get the Ferrari. That's not, that, no, Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, thrown into prison. Uh, Jesus promised that in this world we're going to have trouble, but he's overcome the world. But I do believe that God takes care of his children. I do believe that God provides. 
And I have seen through my life God provide leftovers when we didn't think there was going to be enough. I've seen so many times, and Heather and I is walking, we haven't walked this perfectly. There's been times where we haven't walked in faith and we've said no and we've missed out on the blessing. But the times and the more and more we say yes to God, the more we say yes with the little that we have, God turns our little and he makes leftovers out of it. He gives us more than enough. He supplies us. 40 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. And it hasn't been absent of heartaches, setbacks, or pain. But it has been a full life of purpose and meaning. Friends, your best life is Jesus. Jesus is your best life, and your best life is trusting in him. Jesus, heavenly, the Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit, the creator of all things were, was there at the beginning, knows what's best for us. Jesus is your best life. It's not your easiest life. There's easier lives, but it's not rewarding and it leads to regrets. Jesus is your best life that leads to the fewest regrets. The regrets because of times we say no and we don't walk in obedience, but Jesus is your best life and your best life is trusting him. Your best life is putting your faith in him. I'm, I got a lot of areas still left to grow. And I'm still growing in this area that I'm talking about. But what is it that you need to grow? I think all of us, we're here today because we want to grow. We want to take steps closer to Jesus or we're looking for something. We're looking for answers. We're, we're wanting to take a steps and we may not know it or we may know it, but we're, we're taking steps closer to Jesus or we're taking steps with Jesus. We're becoming more like Jesus. What is it that you need to trust God with? Because your best life is Jesus, but your best life is trusting in him. Not just for salvation. He did more than just to save you. He saved you for a purpose. He has good plans for your life, but we have to trust him. What do you need to trust God with today? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? Is it your kids? Is it your future? Is it your, is it your job? Is it school? Is it, is it a friend? What, what is it you need to? I know one of the hardest things for people to trust God with, and it's where Jesus spent two-thirds of his parable, is money. It's trusting God with our money, trusting God to give. But I'm telling you, friends, we will cap and limit our growth with God if we don't learn to be like Jesus. Jesus gave everything. Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave. God is generous. God is a giver. If we're going to grow and be like Jesus, we're going to learn to grow in faith in Jesus. We're going to, because it's a trust issue. My giving journey, um, I've been blessed. I, I, I had some early training. Not of us had early training. I wish Pastor Nate could come up and tell you a story. This was a hard, hard teaching for him to grab hold of because he didn't grow up in the church like I did. But from an early age, my, my parents, when I was 12 years old and I mowed that three acres, this lawn, I got paid 25 bucks a week. And they, they taught me that we we're trust the Lord, that he's the one that gave us the job. So we gave a tenth or a tithe or 10% and $2.50. When Heather and I got married, we, we had a decision to make. There's decisions you make together. And we, we said, what are we going to do in this area of our life? And I was relieved to know Heather was on the same page with me, that we were going to trust God with the first fruits of what God has given us. 
We're going to give him our first 10. And sometimes he calls us to give more, but we're at least going to give him. We're going to, we're going to start with 10. Nate's journey is he started with two or three and he worked his way up. It's just take your steps to where God wants you to grow in all areas of your life. Don't limit your growth by not trusting him with everything. So Heather and I, we made a decision, both the easiest and hardest decision we've made. Easy in the fact that we made it together and we said, we're going to trust God with the first that God, that God gives us our jobs. Every pastorate that I've had is God's, not mine. I didn't earn the right to be your pastor. I didn't deserve to be your pastor. God gave it as a grace and gift of his that I'm entrusted, I'm a steward of, that I'm to be the best steward of it that I possibly can. Every job that Heather got, it was, it was, it was even jobs she didn't want. It, Heather's story, she didn't want to, she wasn't going to finish college because she wasn't going to do her student teaching. She didn't want to do it. She ended up student teaching. And then she said, I'm not going to teach. And then the principal at the church had her sub. And she said, well, I'll sub, but I'm not going to teach. And then she taught third grade. Don't tell God what you're not going to do. And also know this, if God calls you to do it, it'll be a great joy. My friend Tom, who I've talked about, who we, I did his funeral in Sacramento, his dream job was not being, uh, was working for PG&E for 30 plus years. But his dream was to glorify Jesus in everything that he did. So making a gas service call was more than making a gas service call. It was an opportunity to share God's love with people. It was an opportunity to share hope with people. And he did that all of his life. Whatever God calls you to, he'll equip you for. And when we moved here, you may not know this about Heather. And she's like going, how much are you going to talk about me today? I'm just on a roll. This is what we're on. So... So we came here and Heather's like, I'm going to take the year off. We're going to take the year. I'm not going to teach. I was just going to enjoy, get to know the church. And then about a week before school started, Rick Blosser, who we went to school with, called and said, hey, there's a kindergarten teacher uh, position available out at Nickerson. Do you want it? And she said, I don't even, and she, wasn't, she didn't say this, but I knew what she was thinking. I don't even have to pray about this. No. Kindergarten, not yesterday, not today, not ever. There's a special place in heaven for kindergarten teachers. They have special gifts and special abilities and special callings and special patience. But six, seven weeks into that school year, when she gets another call and said a teacher had to, uh, you know, moved on, can you fill it? And in a weekend, she took, but she's loved it. I'm not saying she loves every day. No teacher loves every day. No person loves every day of their job, but God it gave a fulfillment to my friend Tom in his PG&E job. He gave a fulfillment to him to share God's love with others. And I'm telling you, God is the multiplier. He is the God of, that will provide leftovers. And I can tell you that when we've said yes to God, we've never regretted it, but every no, we've regretted every no we've said to him. What do you need to trust God with today? I just gave one example of money, but maybe it's for you, it's family. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's your future. Maybe today it's putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life, to trust him to make you a brand new person inside. Best decision I ever made 41 years ago, best decision I ever made to trust Jesus Christ it's your best life, and trusting Him is the best way to live your life. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, thank you for my friends. Thank you for my friends here today, and thank you for each and every person that's in this room. Lord, I pray that you would give us courage. I believe you're speaking to us. 
if we're listening. And there's an area that you're saying, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me with your health? Are you going to trust me with your future? Are you going to trust me with your kids, with their future, with your grandkids? Are, are you going to trust me at school? Are you going to trust me with your finances? Are you going to trust me to be your Lord and Savior? Today, maybe you're here and you've never done that. The best decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus into your heart. It's not, it's not meant to be complicated. It's about trusting in him, not yourself or what you could do. It's just saying, Jesus, would you come into my life and forgive me of my sins? Would you make me a new person inside? And would you help me to follow you? Lord, thank you for your church. Thank you for your people. Thank you, Lord, for each and every person here today. Help us to have the courage to trust in you. And all God's people said, amen and amen.